0: You're tuned in to the BVRLA In Conversation with podcast.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this live recording of our In Conversations with podcast with Harvey Perkins and Chris Sewell. Um, budget was yesterday. There wasn't an enormous amount which focused on the sector. So what we're going to try and do is have a conversation, talk through what we do, what more we do know, what we don't know, what we think that means for the industry, and try and unpack this all a little bit for you. For those of you who've joined for the live recording, you're welcome to ask questions throughout. We'll try and answer them as best we can. For those of you who are listening to this afterwards, thanks so much for joining the in conversations Uh, podcast series. Hopefully it's something which you'll find informative and useful. Um, And we will try our best. You can always reach out to us afterwards. We'll try our best to answer your questions if you have them. So with that, my hot take of the budget was we don't know anything more afterwards than we do before from a sector-specific view. The biggest announcement to me was the $620 for a targeted top-up of plug-in grants and for infrastructure. But we heard about that in the net zero strategy last week. We knew that was coming. We were hoping for more detail. We didn't get it. We know exactly what a targeted top-up looks like. Is 20 million of that 600 uh, going to the, to the grants? Is all of it going to local councils for on-street charging? Is there any any space for, for rental operations to get a piece of that? We still don't know. Um, at least we didn't see a change to the plug plugin grant itself yesterday. Um, that was one thing which we had read about in the press in which we were concerned might happen as uh, as we've seen in other budgets. But broadly, I didn't get any great pearls of wisdom. It seems like the economy is doing better than we thought, which is obviously a good thing. But what is your take on it and also either you want to kick off?
0: Um, okay, if I go first, Chris? Of course. So, um, I I actually posted on LinkedIn yesterday morning that I dread budgets, um, and and I fear that um, one of the reasons why the UK has such a horribly complex tax code is that every year chancellors feel the need to make lots of changes in order to entertain Fleet Street. Um, that's probably quite a cynical statement. <laughs> Um, so, I was quite pleased with a budget that basically was was broadly mostly good news. It was good news about the economy, or better news, I mean, obviously, um, things have been pretty dire, but it was better news about the economy, um, and he didn't seem to feel the need to make lots and lots of tiny little changes that would have entertained the accounting profession, but actually would just have made life a lot more difficult for everybody. Um, So broadly speaking, I I was quite pleased with the budget. And there were a couple of little things in there. Um, I'm not sure if there's an hour's worth of material. A couple of little things in there that we want to talk about that we that we were we think were quite interesting. I mean, the other thing that was interesting is you know there have been three huge announcements, which is the increase in the corporation tax rate, mm-hmm. um, the the new one point two five increase to NIC that will become the social care levy, um, and even with that, you know, it's one point two five for the employee and one point two five for the employer. So we've always been keen to say, well, that's two point five to have those mm-hmm. together. Um, and there was the. Phrase uh, personal allowances and rate bans um, those three announcements predated the budget um, but were fairly significant you could you could argue he got the bad news out of the way so exactly. that was my take exactly the same I was
2: very nervous hearing all the leaks over the weekend about what spending was going to be happening mm-hmm. and how it would be funded um, but Harvey's right once you saw the office for budget responsibilities figures the CT uh, the health and social care levy Frozen thresholds and the better market or the better fiscal outlook um, just means that the money was already there. Um, we just didn't see the numbers previously. So when you look at just the corporation tax itself, increases 25 billion a year um, by 26 27. Health and social care levies, 18 billion a year. And then the freezing of the thresholds is just shy of 14 billion a year. So huge numbers. Um, and how we says it's already announced prior to the budget.
1: Yeah. Do you think that that? We're moving away from these sort of spectacular budgets where they try and, at least this Chancellor has moved away from these spectacular budgets. Where we try and cram it all in there and rather spread the news. Because as you say, th- those are enormous announcements, but they weren't made at budget. They, they were things we were w- well aware of beforehand. So we're going to get into a system of more announcements throughout the year. So we don't have this huge
0: buildup. And is that a, a good thing? I, I guess it, pro- well, it's a personal view. Um, not everyone would agree, but I guess it probably is. Um, so the budget becomes more of a spending review. And if the government has got something to say, they come out and say it. You mentioned the plug-in grants previously. Um, but the big thing about the last reduction in plug-in grants was it wasn't announced in the budget. It was announced a couple of weeks afterwards and it came out of the blue and it surprised everybody. So perhaps that's the way it's going to be moving forward. You know, if they have something to say, they'll come out and say it. Um, and the budget will largely be a summary, a uh, uh, you know, presentation of the country's accounts, um, which I guess is what it was originally intended to be.
1: Yeah, fascinating. So, unpacking those a little bit, I guess the most interesting, or one of the more interesting, is the the, the national insurance, the healthcare levy, and what that means. Because I've seen a lot of stuff saying that this could potentially help the salary sacrifice case, etc. Got any views on that?
0: Uh, so salary sacrifice um, has the potential to be huge. We're talking to so many businesses about it. And I think everybody um, is very aware of the opportunity um, that salary sacrifice presents. Obviously, the NIC increase is an increase. So businesses and employees will actually end up taking less home for each pound that they receive. Um, but if you take a salary sacrifice car, then that spins around because it means that the saving on having a salary sacrifice car is even greater the amounts aren't enormous um so on something like an eqc it's worth maybe 10 15 pounds a month more to the employee um so that's sorry mercedes eqc sixty five thousand pounds um only 10 to 15 pounds a month for the employee um but every little helps
1: 100 mm, percent. and i guess then we start getting into the sort of more nitty-gritty of what we did here and what we didn't. So fuel duty frozen again. We didn't hear anything about VD, the future of V D, which we know they're looking at. We didn't hear anything on the road pricing front. So with those huge numbers that you spoke about, Chris, that they're getting, do we think that the pre- Treasury is still under such pressure to look at those taxes to try and adjust for an electric future?
2: It was interesting. I, I looked into a bit more on the um, on the fuel duty particularly where the OBR actually do include an assumption for people moving to electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And, and the way they say it is they're, they're quite prudent. So they assume more than they expect to move to uh, electric. And the forecast still puts them at 32, 33 billion um, of revenue in a few years plus VAT on top of that. So more like 40 billion. Um, so I think they are Still assuming that they'll get a large amount of revenue from fuel duty, and I think when you look at the wider picture as well, it's probably not an unreasonable assumption as well. We're talking about a lot of cars going to electric, and I think the last uh, smt figures from September showed one in six cars ordered were electric. But when you look at the bigger picture, there's still 33 million cars on the road, mm-hmm. plus LCVs, plus HGVs. and until they all go electric, there's still going to be a huge amount of revenue in fuel duty. Um, So I was talking to Harvey about this this morning. I think the argument to say that fuel duty is going to drop off significantly very quickly, so we need to look at road charging, in my opinion, isn't that strong. So I think the revenue will still come in for a good 5, 10, 15 years. Um, That's not to say they shouldn't start looking at it, because I'm sure there is other reasons to do road charging and not just to replace the fuel duty.
0: It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because road charging pops up every now and again. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems to me that we've been talking about it for a long time. And although it is definitely a political hot potato, um, and you can see why the government would want to delay the conversation as long as it possibly could, there are a lot of huge positives to road charging. Not least replacing lost revenue. So, 40 billion is a huge amount of money. And any reduction in 40 billion is going to hurt the Treasury. Um, So, not just replacing that 40 billion, but also, Chris and I were talking about this this morning. You know, if if you're on the M25 at nine o'clock in the morning, there's an argument that your pence per mile rate on road charging would be very, very high. Um, If you're on a country road um, on a Saturday, there's an argument it will be very, very low. Only road charging allows the government to target a usage charge so closely to reflect the harm being done by the journey. So I, I could see an argument for road pricing. Every time we talk to Treasury, they always want to talk about road pricing. They just don't seem to want to do it in public. Is that your experience as well, Tom?
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those ones which, as you said, always bubbles up. Um, we Every now and again, there's a leak to the media that has been discussed and people are thinking about it. Um, I think the, the thing for, from our perspective is that to make a road pricing scheme is incredibly complex, especially the one you're describing there, Harvey, where you're able to monitor exactly where people are going when. To do that is a six, seven year project um to do that well so treasury doesn't have the luxury to just look and say well fuel duty revenues aren't aren't going to decline over the next three years they got to look next four years five years six years seven years and we all know sort of government it projects can slip Uh, they don't have the greatest uh record for being able to hit on time we saw the challenges with wltp's introduction and just how challenging that's been for manufacturers I don't think we can realistically say we're going to completely overhaul our road tax system and not give ourselves almost a decade to do it. Mm. And that's when we really get into trouble because I don't think those fuel duty receipts are going to survive towards the end of this decade at a level exactly as you say, Harvey, 40 billion pounds is a lot of money. Even if you lose 10%, 20% of that to electric vehicles, that is billions and billions of pounds, which the government probably doesn't have. So, Our strong preference is to start the conversation as soon as possible in the open, as you you say, to make it something which we can engage with, have robust discussions, because else you set yourself up for pain. And this is really my frustration around not seeing more years of company car attacks published. You create the expectation that when they do publish it, it's going to be bad. That when we do get to the year beyond the years we know now we're not going to go from two percent to three percent we're going to go from two percent to much much higher and the reason they're holding back is because they don't want to give us the bad news well people are going to be in their cars by then and all you're going to do is you're going to create another scenario of just like you told us to get into diesel and now you're taxing us out of diesel you to tell people to get into electric and you try tax them off the road So our message has been quite clear to Treasury from the word, give us certainty so we can plan, even if it's bad news, even if you want to tax the electric car, company car quite heavily from 25, 26, just tell us. That way businesses can actually plan. I'm not sure what your customers and and, and the people you talk to have
0: been saying. So it's it's interesting the point on diesel that you just touched upon there. And I I know I keep hammering this. It was only 10 years ago. 10 years ago that it was government policy to push people into diesel cars and we had low emission rates for vehicles that emitted less than 100 grams of co2 it seems crazy now and that obviously was under the previous emissions regulations um so it just goes to show you know why some people can be cynical um because over a 10-year period who knows what policy will be of course you know 2024 we could see a change in government you could argue that this government may want to leave those decisions to a new government um, and push those problems forwards. Um, in terms of the um, rates themselves, that there was a bit, i mean, this is fiddly detail, there was a bit yesterday in terms of um, the government actually confirming the rate to April 2025. Prior to that, they just uh, made a commitment to keep them in the same sort of area. Now they've actually physically confirmed them. So that's good news. We know what the rates, the scale charge rates will be uh, through to 2025. And to be fair, Tom, and I'm thinking back sort of 10, 15, 20 years, I can't remember a time when the government had ever given us more than three to four years worth of future rates. The argument is always that they would give us a replacement cycle, because the point of the scale charge is to encourage people to make the right decisions. But mm-hmm. uh, once you're in a car, obviously, you, you're stuck with it for a contract term. So it, you could argue it's unfair to in- dramatically increase the tax charge on a car you've already got. Um, so there is an argument that, you know, we would have to wait until next year or the year after in the normal cycle of things to see them confirm rates post 2025. And logically, those rates will have to go up. Um, 2 billion is the total in terms of company car tax and NIC in the UK. 2 billion is the annual take um, as of the end of April 2020. It's not 40 billion, but it's still 2 billion. It's still a huge amount of money. Um, We know that there are getting on for 300,000 EVs on the road in the UK. I'm guessing a lot of those are company cars. So I'm guessing a lot of that 2 billion is evaporating and evaporating quickly. Um, That can't stay like that. Treasury's goal is to make sure there's sufficient income coming in to meet the government's spending commitments. Yeah, to give an idea, it's kind of stating the obvious, I guess, but
2: that current 2 billion would drop to something like 200,000, 200 million, sorry, if uh, everyone went EV. It just almost wipes it out um, because the scale charge is so low on an EV compared to the 25, 30% that people are likely paying currently in uh, ICE vehicles.
1: There are a few things there, though. Is the current two billion sustainable? Because we like, is that what the benefit actually is valued at? Because we see the current levels we're taxing people out of company cars. So is is it feasible, and should Treasury be looking to maintain that two billion, or is the actual an equitable level of where the benefit is actually captured somewhere below that?
0: I, my, my reaction to that, I, I hadn't thought about that. It's a really good question. My reaction is it's sort of been around that £2 billion mark for a long time. We think it peaked somewhere around £2.4 billion, at the point where company car tax rates were going through the roof for traditional ICE cars, but people weren't opting out in volumes. Then, you know, there's this thing called the Laffer curve, which basically yeah. says that if you increase the tax charge beyond a certain point, people opt down and you don't actually make any more money. You can increase the charge all you want. You don't make any more money. And we think we'd reach that point somewhere around 2019, um, 2020. Um, and And that point was a little bit higher than two billion. So, whether it's 2 billion or 1.8 billion, I don't know. You'd need an economist to answer that question. But it feels to me to be about the level that the UK automotive in- industry has sustained. Mm.
1: And I guess if that's, if that's sustainable, then that's the, 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 the natural level to, it'll come back to. Because eventually, when we stop using BIC as an incentive for behavior change, it's gonna to have to return to just being a tax on the benefit. And yes. at that level, I guess then we need to try and work out what is that equilibrium, what is that equilibrium point, what do, and we can almost work backwards for Treasury's thinking as to what we what we know electric vehicles have to be charged at at some point in the twenty thirties.
2: So we didn't answer, didn't we, Harvey, where we looked at the certain cars and what scale charge it would have to be to still be kind of commercially uh viable for employers and employees and it's got to get to something like 10 12% um instead of the 2% for an ev before mm. it starts looking unfavorable to the employee uh, so it's still quite a gap still still a way to go there on the,
1: on the big charges and what would um, that take the revenue to if you're looking at sort of 10% for
0: for electric vehicles uh, yeah it would it's difficult to say isn't it because the list price of evs tends to be higher as well but yeah. that is also moving that is also yeah. coming down um currently i mean we we always say when we do a, a company car seminar um, to keep things simple um we sort of color code the rates and we all say that 15 percent scale charge is green in that that seems to us to be a fair charge. When you look at um, equilibrium between provision of a company car and provision between an equivalent amount of cash, Mm -hmm. at 15%, you're better off in the company car. At 25%, we color code it amber. And at 35%, which is where a lot of diesels now are, we color code it red. Um, So I would suggest that somewhere between 10 and 15% it would be, I'm not gonna use the word fair, um, but that would be a point of equilibrium between cash and a company car. And in fact, we did do, a, again, we did a LinkedIn post a couple of months ago about how high the scale charge you needed to get before salary sacrifice stopped working. And it was yep. that 15% point. We did it on a bunch of real cars. Um, so it varied by car, but you we, we could say it averaged at about 15%, the point where you would have once again started to say, maybe I should take cash and lease this myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I guess as we sort of move forwards, you, you're you quite right with the government. I think the government commitment is two years of foresight. Um, that's their sort of official line and they, they have given us more. And it is welcome to see the certainty in, in, in the red book. And that's something which um, when I was talking to Treasury yesterday, I did, I, I did thank them for that because you know, until it's written in writing, our, our membership does tend to, to, to wonder if it could change at the last minute, um, which is fine. But I, I think all the same, we are in an, an exceptional time. And everything that we look at around the net zero strategy, around the net zero review, there are exceptional pressures to decarbonize at the moment, and we we're in a COP26 year, and I, I do still find it quite disappointing the way you put these exceptional burdens on business, there isn't uh, always an appetite for exceptional behavior from the government side. Um, what we're looking at for, what we're looking for here is for them to be able to say, "We understand that you're going to be making some pretty big decisions and it's going to be carrying big costs for you." we willing to go out there and give you a bit more certainty than we would normally. Um, so I think that's broadly being speaking, our, our conversations with them and we are, we're disappointed obviously that they, that they don't. But I think when you look at the SMT reg- reg- registration figures, there's obviously a, a sense of satisfaction that what they're doing is working and why should they, why, why, why do they need to change that? Why do they need to give more foresight if people are, are still opting in, in huge numbers? And I don't think I see that. Changing in the immediate term. I don't know if you would say otherwise. At what point do you think people would actually, of the foresight, would they stop opting into electric vehicles?
0: Um, I mean, it, it's it's that fifteen percent scale charge. I guess mathematically is when we think that 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 would have start to affect behaviour, just based on what we've seen in the past. You know, when the rate was ten percent ten years ago. We had salary sacrifice and people were opting in in droves. Um, now the rate is two percent. All right, the cars tend to be a little bit more expensive, but people are opting in in droves. That's that, that's what we're seeing on on the, in the market. Um, so it's it's that fifteen percent point where where maybe we would start to see people um, not automatically taking the company car option. Um, quite where that takes the total number of company cars on the road remains to be seen. So it was eight hundred thousand at the end of September. Um, we think that might be the low point. So you know, so so sorry, sorry, the, the numbers that were released at the end of September, which were to April twenty twenty. You think how many EVs were available then versus how many EVs are available now? And that's the other thing that I think is changing. You know, If you go back to 2018, 2019, there really wasn't a lot of choice. And what you could have was quite expensive. Now there's a huge amount of choice and there's some very desirable cars, you know, cars like Polestar 2, ID4, the um, yeah. MQ4. These are cars that, that you, 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 you may not even need to be incentivized to have because they're very, very desirable in their own right. And yet we have this huge incent- incentivization.
1: I, I guess to, to bring that, how many years of foresight do you think? At what point, when you've got one year of foresight and you're in a three-year contract, two years, th- three years, when do people stop adopting? I don't know. Do you have an a view a view on that?
0: I I, I don't um, because I've, I've no idea how quickly rates will change. But all I can say is, you know, if it was four. The argument for an EV would still be outstanding if it mm. was six. It would still be outstanding if it was eight. It might be a little less outstanding. Um, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's got a long way to move before it's anything other than compelling. Yeah, I think when we were speaking to
2: the clients looking to put them in now, before the announcement yesterday, where we could only say the promise to keep them to a similar level up to twenty twenty five. There was a bit of nervousness. I think i fixing it now for the, the the typical three, three year cycle. I expect a lot more companies to be more comfortable implementing it and therefore employees taking those vehicles now for three years in two years time. If they've not obviously published any further data, uh, further figures, I think taking a new car might be difficult, mm-hmm. but they've got to keep up that three year cycle minimum. Let's say. Okay. So we still got
1: a little bit of time you think of before this of wholesale challenges. Which we next for, onwards to the next fiscal event, um, <laughs> sweeping back to to some of the other parts of the budget. We didn't see anything in this budget which was similar to the super deduction or sort of the, the innovative chancellor which we saw at the the last uh, the last fiscal event. So I wondered if you were if you had any views on that. Do you think there were lots of cries before this budget for things like uh, full expensing? to develop the, the investment side of the UK in a sort of great way, somewhere where we are sometimes a little bit of a laggard. Um, I think the focus was instead on R&D credits and reforming that. Um, what is what is your take on, on, is that a missed opportunity or do you think the super deduction is functioning well? And
0: the, So we, we, we did see um, an extension of the annual investment allowance for another year. Um, I mean, the fiddly detail, but but still welcome. Um, we still have the super deduction um, and we also have the 100% first year allowance. Um, those are pretty attractive. Um, there is a question mark when you um, sell those assets three years down the line, four years down the line, and the corporation tax rate is in 25%. Mm-hmm. You're getting a big deduction at 19% and then a clawback at 25%. So the math isn't quite as clean as everyone might suggest it is, but it's still welcome. Um, we were, I guess, you know, and it was a long shot, but if you're talking about innovation, um, it's fascinating to talk about things like mobility allowances. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, should we be focused so much on cars? Um, if you come out of a diesel car and into an EV obviously you have made an improvement um, but are you better on public transport should we be incentivizing more public transport cycles all of all of those things I mean the, the co2 emissions of owning and riding a bicycle are zero um, had a debate on LinkedIn um, over the last couple of days about whether going on a train um involves you emitting any additional CO two or whether that's zero because the train was already there. Um but that tax system doesn't really incentivize people, um particularly around commuting, to to travel in a a, a genuinely lower CO two or zero CO two way. Um but, you know, despite the lobbying, we saw nothing around that. You could argue that would be genuine innovation. Mm
1: we would obviously like to see some more support for shared mobility which we think is sort of part and parcel of that uh that offering that if you only have a bicycle you can sometimes need to do a longer trip and a car has a role for that Mm -hmm. but perhaps not a private car i think it's a a wider picture i see we got a question you can if you can pop that up on screen it would be great Mm So I'll read out, does the panel expect more certainty around green policies to follow in the next update post COP26? I guess this is a question of whether or not we think power has been held back because there's a massive global summit here next week or whether we can expect more. Certainly there was a deafening silence around green finance other than signaling the fact that the London is now the world hotspot for that. Um, but then no
2: more to support it or no announcements. That's space. What's your take on that guys? I think that there's got to be. I think when you look at the net zero strategy document, there's a lot of talk about the green initiatives and, and, and what they're looking to do. But I think, as you said earlier, Tom, no detail. Hmm. Uh, but they've got to start publishing all that detail. How are the targeted plugging grants going to work? Um, and All the other things they've announced that we need the detail. So
1: I think we 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 waiting for another another round another salvo of information at, at some point but whether or not that's in COP or later I'm I'm not particularly sure
0: it would it would be um almost a wasted opportunity if they didn't use that stage and you could argue I mean it, it's quite um it's surprising how little information has been released um regarding all of these big targets and these big numbers. So you could argue that, you know, when they then at COP26 actually gave us more information and gave us more detail, A, they get the headlines, which I'm sure is what they want and B, the whole thing will then make sense at the moment. It's it's almost surprising how silent they've been on the detail. So, so, you know, in two weeks time, we may look back and say, Hey, that was what we expected after all. Yeah.
1: Another question has come through the advisory electricity rate. This is a this is a hot topic. We didn't see anything in yesterday's budget, but
0: are we likely to see reform soon? So this this I think I I wanted to talk about this um, and and there's a piece around complexity. There's a piece around, why does everything have to be so complicated? So you could extend beyond that to chargers and workplace chargers and home chargers and the whole question of who pays for them and whether or not they get a grant. Um, It is all incredibly complicated. And when you want the population to adopt something en masse, it surprised me that everything has to then be so complicated. So one of the advantages of AER, which is 4p a mile, is it's 4p a mile. That's not complicated, That's simple. The problem we have, though, and, and I have to own up and say I don't have an electric car, so I don't have any practical experience of this. But friends of mine who do tell me there is a massive gulf in the cost of charging a car at home and charging it if you're out and about. And it can be 1 to 2p a mile if you charge at home and you're on the right tariff. And it can be 10p or more a mile if you charge using a supercharger on a motorway service station. Now, to, to the extent that that's true or not, I simply have no practical experience. But certainly with petrol and diesel, you know, that you, you might get a 10, 20 percent disparity between the cheapest source of fuel and the most expensive. But with electricity, um, it's thousands of percent difference. Um, and yet all we have is this flat rate 4p. So logic was this. If you charge at home, you stay quiet and pocket the balance. And if you charge out in about, then you argue that you're um, seriously out of pocket. Um, we have done work for a number of clients who've argued that those rates um, should be higher. Um, and Absolutely, if you can evidence that the charge that your employees are actually meeting for business mileage is higher, then that's the conversation you can have with HMRC. Um, and, and we're involved in doing that for a couple of clients. Um, but I'm not really sure from this concept of how you make things simple, um, how you actually then um, come up with a policy with multiple AERs, depending on the circumstances in which the employee charges the vehicle, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so the AR is a difficult one. And I think it's become especially difficult given the current energy crisis. We've had communications from members and their customers about the current soaring energy bills, making the full mile even unachievable for people at home where tariffs have seen substantial increases in the, in the recent period. Ourselves and the Association of Fleet Professionals have been lobbying HMRC to, to reform this. And our meetings have been positive, but as with everything with HMRC, uh, things are complex. Things are not easy to change and it's heavily evidenced. And if they were to make a change, they would have to have quite a rigorous process to look at it. So fingers crossed that it's something, it's certainly on their radar, something which we've raised up their radar. As Harvey says, there are challenges with this one. How, How you make an AER which works for everyone, I don't think that's possible but you can make a better AER, you can make it more reflective of current energy prices, more adaptive. We see the fuel, uh, the AFRs get announced four times a year, reflecting the fact that wholesale energy prices change for, 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 for all fuel types, um, and electricity prices change too, and it should be more adaptive, it should be more regularly updated. Um, we can't we can't force that to happen, but we certainly bang the drum as loudly as we can with HMRC.
0: But do you find that when you say that to HMRC, they then say, well, if you feel that it's not appropriate for any given company, you're welcome to talk to us about what's appropriate for that company and, and based on evidence. So they sort of have that get out of jail card free but, that obviously, you know, if you, if you don't think 4P is enough and you can evidence that it's not, then you can pay the right amount.
1: Yeah, I I think the signaling effect is not lost on them, though. The fact that the 4P sets the tone for the industry and that simplicity argument that if you if you are doing a signaling device, it should be accurate. Uh, I think that is appreciated by HMRC. Um, The fact is, there's just a lot that HMRC does and and not everything can get the focus that perhaps deserves at all at all the time. But. Hopefully, this one's up their agenda after the work that us and the AFP have done. I see another questions come in. Um, did we see anything around shared mobility and car
2: clubs in the budget? I think the simple answer is no. Unfortunately, um, there's kind of points towards it, I think in the net uh, zero strategy document. That's yeah, and the TDP. At, yeah, looking at shared mobility, but as far as I saw, nothing, nothing, anything in, in, in the budget, unfortunately.
1: No. Unfortunately, when we were speaking to Treasury yesterday, their comments were the TDP has got a lot of non-fiscal incentives, which it discusses, things like guides for local authorities, um, uh, which will all be coming out later. It doesn't seem seem like there's going to be more money towards this right now. Perhaps we'll see at later fiscal events. I think there's certainly been a step change within government around the focus on shared mobility. Um, There was a clear signalling that shared mobility has a role. We see in things like uh, Birmingham's latest car ban plans. Uh, Well, that's me being a little bit facetious, but they're they're more stringent uh, measures encouraging private car users from not driving uh, through Birmingham. Um, Shared mobility is viewed as sort of the exception to that rule. So I think at a local authority level, there seems to be a lot of work to encourage shared mobility. And perhaps Treasury views that less as a central government uh, position and more as something for the local authorities to take on. And we did see a lot of money being given for broader transport projects at local level, so a lot of levelling up, so a lot of uh, spending for the devolved administrations. Uh, when we sort of talking, what are the headlines that came out of this? I think the the levelling up agenda is uh, well and truly central to sort of Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak's vision of of what their legacy from this parliament's going to be.
2: Yeah.
1: Another question is coming is, is it worrying that there was not much at all on EV infrastructure investment, charging networks, et cetera? I guess this is a sort of, again, an open question for for yourselves. What what do you, should we be worried that if we don't see, if we don't know the detail on on how we're going to get that money spent, is charging developing fast enough? What are you hearing from your
0: customers? Char- charging is an interesting debate um we again have commented a couple of times about um improving ranges on new evs and and whether you know in the fullness of time we'll look back and laugh at the fact that a car needed to be charged every 200 miles um and if you can charge a car every 6 700 miles so i think there's a new mercedes next year which is supposed to do 600 um well that's twice a month and and that's got to um change the um environment for how many charges we need um obviously there's a lot of government money behind improving the charging network um and i suspect we'll see um a lot more charges as a consequence um i guess my question is how many do we really need and are we are we are we planning our charging network around 2019 technology or around 2028 technology because no one really knows just how far this is going to go and how quickly but it looks like cars are going to get a lot more capable um in the medium term is yeah. anything else, Chris? It,
2: it, it is that point isn't it around the change in consumer behavior where at the moment obviously you need to go and get fuel you'd go to a petrol station mm-hmm. going forward you might go to a supermarket and what you're doing your shop, you charge your car. Uh, I think Tesco are investing huge amounts of money in their EV infrastructure in their car parks. And I think that'll be the step change. And obviously, again, I keep referring back to this net zero strategy document, but they're talking there about investing in EV infrastructure but without taking the detail. So we need that detail to understand what they're actually going to be doing. And I guess this then
1: opens up another discussion. I know we were talking previously about the super deduction a lot of this infrastructure is incredibly expensive. When the super deduction first came out, there was a lot of speculation that it might enable people to more effectively afford charging infrastructure and obviously doesn't have the same challenges of disposing of the asset and the clawbacks, etc. Has that come to fruition or are there still areas of uncertainty around the super deduction and if it will actually work for infrastructure?
0: Do- so th- this isn't particularly my area, um, but there seems to be a debate about whether or not the super deduction would even apply to a charger. Um, and this is back to whether it's a, a main asset pool or whether it's a fixture and what rate would apply. However, whether it's a 100% or 130%, that's still for recovery of the cost or more in year one. Um, so I, I don't have any practical experience of what that means to the market. Um, but compared to rates we've seen historically, um, it's a very generous position Mm. Uh, and I don't think the direct tax treatment therefore will be holding anyone back.
1: Yeah. I definitely think that. The more mechanisms there are, the more routes to this, the the better. And they certainly do seem to be some generous approaches, uh, even if they're not the most uh,
0: most straightforward, um, unfortunately, as that, as that is. Did, did you, because uh, I, 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 a number of organizations engaged HMRC in this mm-hmm. debate about whether or not the 130% would apply. Um, have you discussed that with Treasury?
1: Yeah. So we've had a few discussions with them and it's, as you say, it it comes down to the by case by case, basically. Um, And it's incredibly complicated. The area which we got really stuck in with them at one point was around whether or not grid upgrades, which you don't own and the DNO does own, um, whether those could be included within the super deduction, either from your side or from the district uh, network operator, And again, (laughs) The guidance we got back, I think is too complex for me to to, to, to list out on a a webinar and it's very case by case, but there are routes here and I would encourage members who are looking at making those upgrades to talk to us and we can try and see what what, what we can do to make sure that the sort of guidance applies to their, well, that they can do it in a way which maximizes what they can, uh, uh, the tax efficiency of what they can do. Um, But there are certainly routes forward whether or not that they well know and i think this is a fairly niche area Uh, the super deduction is quite confusing and it's something which i don't think everyone has uh, fully understood its implications
0: so we we found a wizard on the hmrc website yesterday to help guide employers and employees as to the tax treatment of charging yeah. Um, and it reminded me, I, I, you go back to the 1980s and, and text your adventure games like Zork. It was a bit like that. You know, you have to answer 46 questions and then you get killed by a troll. <laughs> um, the, the, the thing that's staggering about all of this, and this is true of our entire tax code, but particularly this area, is it's so complicated. You have to ask so many questions to determine the tax treatment, and yet charging an EV is absolutely fundamental to what government have set out to achieve. So why can't they? You know they can simplify the rules on alcohol duties. Why yeah. can't we simplify the rules on charges? Why can't they be, just be generous? State um, state what the deductions are, and stop worrying so much about who paid for it and where it sits, etc., etc., etc. I know you can't simplify down to. Four p a mile. Um, yeah. We can simplify it a long way from where it is, and that would really, really help. When we talk to companies about salary sacrifice, we still find HR people who really don't want to get back in the company cars. Because of years and years and years of trying to move away from company cars, we're now talking about going back into company cars, and they don't particularly want to go there. And it's this kind of thing. It's this kind of complexity. It's a morass of rules. They keep changing. um, And ultimately, HR people just don't want to be involved. Not all of them, obviously, but that's certainly been our recent experience, that, that HR people are still unhappy with some of the issues involved with going back to company cars because of this history of complexity and, and rules and rules changing.
1: And I guess that then opens up the question to things like your mobility allowance idea. Would those be measures of simplification if we were to, if those were to happen, is that to try and cut through all this complexity and just recast it or is it a, should we be looking for gradual reforms towards the simplicity or just sort of throw it all away and start up with something fresh and simple?
0: um i'm not sure um nice simple statements that people can understand is key to any communication Mm
1: -hmm.
0: if you're trying to communicate with 33 million owners of ice vehicles that you want them to switch to an ev um your, your starting point needs to be nice simple communication Um, And therefore, I would argue that you you would want to cut through the complexity um, and present as simple a scenario as you possibly could, and then communicate that well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Chris, anything to add?
2: No, I think it's a nice idea, isn't it, to keep everything simple, but I think past experiences just shows it's not always an option. There's always legacy uh, issues that carry over, so... Yes, if you start with a blank piece of page the mobility allowance sounds great i think um past history would say that's quite a difficult thing to achieve
1: mm. and i guess that then takes us to another sort of slightly complex legacy legacy system that all th- 32 million vehicles have to interact which is vd which we just saw this sort of standard operating We currently have three VED systems running concurrently, giving different signals for different points in the market. It's front-weighted, it's clumsy. Are we seeing VED revenues decrease? Is that something which you looked into, Chris? Um, Sort of the forecast for VED, what sort of pressure do you think there is? There was the the call for evidence last year now, looking at what the future should be. There was no action taken, there's no follow-on consultation. Do you think there's pressure there to, to reform, or is that something they're going to keep kicking into the long grass?
2: So on the on the forecast, they do assume it's going to keep going up. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think it's what seven billion up to eight billion, something like that. Um, so I think they're still expecting it to increase. I'll, pa- I'll hand over the reform point to, to Harvey. <laughs>
0: It's another area which has become hideously complicated, where it used to be really quite straightforward. And if it's complicated, so you're doing it because you want people, you want to encourage behaviours, at least in theory. That's, That's why... You pay more if your car emits more. You pay more if your car costs more than £40,000 in order to drive behaviours. But if people don't understand those implications, what behaviour is it going to drive? Um, But I mean, the question I ask myself um, slightly cynically is we introduced this additional charge if vehicles were £40,000 or more in order to produce funds that were ring-fenced to improve the quality of the road network. Um, And I don't know whether that money's been spent like that because the road network doesn't seem to be any better, um, certainly around here. Um, So, you know, and and it's interesting in terms of this new NIC increase to social care levy. Again, that's, that's ring fence to pay for specific aspects of social care. Um, So it would be cool to see where taxes are introduced to drive particular outcomes. It would be good to see those outcomes.
1: Yeah. I think there's a always an interesting de- debate about hypothecation the fact that uh, while initially attractive, I think government often finds itself unable to manoeuvre in points of crisis, et cetera, and then breaks free
0: of the shackles and doesn't want to go back to them. Yes. Um, and, and then later the- on introduces a new tax to pay for it again. Yes. <laughs> but, but again, that would be a very cynical thing to say, so I won't say it.
1: Well, fair enough. And on that cheery note, um, thank you so much, both Chris and Harvey, for joining me for a conversation around the budget. And given what we heard and and how it all went, I think we've had a much broader conversation and I've really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for your time. And for those listeners, thank you very much for joining us live. And for those of you listening off the case, if you've got anything that this sparks up in your mind, feel free to drop us an email. I'm sure all of us would be very happy to hear from you. Thank you very much for your time, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day.